Well, it's been a great day so far, right? Great worship. Love having kids around. Don't you love having the kids around? Sorry as we kind of transition. So if you are um, here because of Summer Jam and you brought your family, I uh, just want to say thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to be here and worshiping with us and being a part of our service. We love uh, having you and hopefully um, you've enjoyed today and then more importantly your kiddos enjoyed yesterday and learned quite a bit about the fruit of the Spirit and more, right? How to put your feet in a pool of water with oatmeal in it. And we thank you for your patience because some of your kids came home with blue hands, didn't they? That was pretty awesome. Okay, We had a, a Smurf petting se- uh, section. That's why they did that. So, uh, But we have been, if this is your first time today or if you haven't been in a while, we have uh, been in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And so if you want to take out your Bibles today, you can find Romans, chapter 12. And we're kind of taking a turn uh, around the corner. It's all downhill from here, if you will. This is uh, six weeks uh, that we're spending time in Romans chapter 12, and today is the halfway point. And um, if you are new and, uh, or you haven't um, been around for a little while because it's summertime and we're just kind of everywhere, right? We've encouraged everybody to read Romans chapter 12 as much as you can throughout the week, once a day, Uh, a couple times a week, whatever it fits into your schedule, and allow uh, God to kind of work in your heart, in your life, through this um, awesome chapter. The first half, and really it's the first eight verses that we've covered, uh, talks about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice and what that looks like, uh, how to give our gifts and abilities. And we read about how that sacrifice is our purest form of worship. Right? It's the, it's the easiest and it's the most pure thing that we can return to God is to live our life as a living sacrifice. And uh, we, we read about how we don't want to shape our lives around the pattern of this world. And we also talked about how we're given many gifts and abilities. And those gifts and abilities come from God above. And in the midst of those, uh, using those abilities, that we should not think of ourselves higher than we ought to, right? We should not think, well, my gift is more important than their gift, or I could do that better than they can. And we kind of get too big for our britches sometimes, right? And, uh, we, and Paul reminds us, we shouldn't do that because those abilities, those gifts, they're not ours. They belong to God. And, um, and they're all different. We all possess different things that God has blessed us with. So the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12, they set the table for the remainder of the chapter. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in, in Rome. And it's a newer church. It uh, was established from the day of Pentecost um, about 20 years uh, prior to when it was written. Uh, and it takes a little time, right? It's 2,500 miles away for things to get around in those days. And he writes this in the middle of Emperor Nero in Rome. He's, in, he's ruling. And Nero, if you don't know anything about history, he was not a good guy. And he was using Christians and torturing them and killing them. And simply because he didn't want Christians to worship God, he wanted them to worship him. 
And so he thought of himself more highly than he ought. Um, and maybe that's why Paul wrote that. Who knows? But he's writing, he writes this letter, um, and he's never been to Rome at this point. He actually ends up in Rome, and that's where his life ends eventually. But he's never been there, but he's hearing these things about the church in Rome. So he sends them um, this, this letter in, of encouragement, and he, he basically uses the first eight verses and explains this template on how we should live our uh, life of, of, a, of a living sacrifice and how to serve God and uh, not yourself, okay? And so then he pivots. He changes gears a little bit in verse 9, and he changes the tone and sets the action of a Jesus follower in how we should behave, how we should act, how we should reflect Jesus. And he begins this uh, to share the basic principles um, of the definition of Christian, and um, if, you're, if you're here for very long, if you come to be a part of uh, this church, you're going to hear me say, uh, I refer to Christians as Jesus followers a lot. Uh, and I do that on purpose, mainly because the world's view of the word Christian anymore has drastically changed. It's, it's more of when, when the world hears Christian, if you're not a part of the church or, um, or know Jesus as a personal Savior, then you're going to hear that word a lot of times in the world, and, and it means judgment, or it means something a little more hostile. And that, honestly, it's been earned, right? We've had people that claim to be Christians, that profess Christianity, that kind of pull it down. It's the, the you know, the... The not very many, the minority speaks louder, and it's not really the case. I know the hearts of all of you today, and that's not why you're here. So I, take, I like to use the term Jesus follower because it really does explain what uh, we are as we follow Christ. And um, so at its core, if we're following Jesus and our eyes are on Jesus, that's where we're going to live. That's how we're going to model our life. Okay, just think about when you're driving, and um, if you're driving through the Flint Hills, like towards uh, Wichita, you're gonna if if your eyes stray off the road and you're looking at oh look at those cows oh look at those cows um, that's really all you see uh, they're really pretty hills right but if you if you take your eyes off the road for very long where's your car gonna go it's gonna go where you're looking right. It's the same thing in our life uh, as we follow Jesus. If our eyes are on Jesus and we're following him, then we're going to tend to not steer off the path near as much. And so I like to use the term Jesus follower. It just kind of breaks it down a little bit. And in verse 9 in Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to uncover how Jesus followers should live. And we're going to read it today, and I don't know, um, I asked you to take out your uh, Bible, but today I'm going to read from the message. I'm going to read, it's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, and it's just basically how he hears the Scripture in his ears in modern day terms, okay? And so it is a paraphrase, it's somebody else's words, but it's fantastic. Uh, it, it, it lays out this word picture today in this chapter. And um, like we've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to start in verse 1 and just kind of see how it all unfolds. So uh, I believe we'll probably have it on the screens because um, we have a crack staff who are awesome. And uh, I didn't even ask for that. I tend to forget that. But here we go. Romans chapter 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. 
Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and respond quickly to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Listen then, living then, as as one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are alike of various parts of the human body, which each part gets meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body, is talking, the, the body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and in, in function as a part of, uh, of the body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all this excellent, formed, and marvelously functioning parts of Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we're made to be without enviously and pridefully comparing ourselves to each other or trying to be something that we're art. we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you're encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself be irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. And this is our focus for today. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. That's a hard one, isn't it? Don't burn out. Keep yourselves uh, fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. That's the word of the Lord today. Thanks be to God. And uh, I hope that you have the opportunity to Uh, Take a little time each day to read um, Romans chapter 12. But if you've been around our church uh, very long, you've probably heard me say this phrase. People will know who you follow by the way that you love. People will know who you follow by the way that you love. Now, this is not original to me. Okay, I didn't make it up. Um, I really plagiarized it from this guy named John. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote the Gospel of John, the, the account uh, of Jesus' life in the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible of uh, the New Testament. 
And, and he writes this, um, and basically he's quoting Jesus. And Jesus says this very thing. Uh, and before he was arrested and, and crucified, Jesus was celebrating the, the Passover feast in this upper room with his followers, his closest friends. And he's sharing this wealth of knowledge that later becomes known as the Great Discourse because Jesus is just getting all this stuff off his chest. And he knows what's coming. And he knows he needs to inform the disciples of what's going on. And while he does this, he offers a new command. He says in John 13, verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. It's a huge statement, kind of sitting in the middle of John chapter 13, maybe buried a little bit. But this is a who gives commands. In their context, who is the command giver? Who did Moses meet with on the top of Mount Sinai, right? Who was God gives commands, right? And here Jesus gives what's referred to as the greatest command, to love one another. And he takes all of the Ten Commandments and the 600 other commands that have kind of been tacked on by people over the centuries, and he compresses them down into one command that covers all of them, right? Love one another. This command, uh, this, is, this is what Jesus refers to as the greatest commandment. Just, it's just to love, as I have loved you. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do, right? Because he immediately follows it up by saying, as I have loved you. Now, the, the, up until that point, the, the disciples, they understood kind of what that meant because Jesus has taken care of them, hasn't he? He's, he's done a lot to help them and brought them along, but in just, just a few hours, they would understand way more, as I have loved you, what that means, to them. But he's making sure that they knew, he's making sure that we know that he is accountable to this greatest command as well. As a human on earth, Jesus is accountable to love one another as I have loved you. And immediately he follows uh, that, that command with what the world will see when we love. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, if you love one another. By this, by what, right? By loving, by the way that you love. People will know who you follow by the way that you love. Not because they look at you and think, oh, he, they might love, okay. No, it's by the way. It's what they, what they see. And as Paul's writing to the Roman church, he tells us too, uh, here in Emporia, you right now, in your seats. Your love must be sincere. And um, that's what he, he says in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Eugene Peterson says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Have you ever, have you ever been fake loved by somebody? Yeah. Have you, have you ever fake loved someone else? Yeah. For the most part, uh, I think you can identify when somebody is fake loving you, right? When, when they're just, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Maybe no eye contact. There's just a lot of head bobbing, a lack of questions that are about you and more about them. Maybe uh, just talking about make, make, you know, their comments center around things that have nothing to do with you and have more to do with them. There's probably 
uh, a checklist of 100 more ways to be fake loved. But Paul shares that when we love others, like Jesus commanded us to do, there has to be action behind it. It's by the way that you do it. It's not just by the way you think about it. And it's, it's more than just acknowledging the needs of others. It's doing something about it, right? It's more than just praying for that person, which is a huge part of loving people, right? And it's absolutely necessary. But it's more than that. It's finding a way to stand in the gap for that person in the middle of whatever they're going through, whether it's good or bad or in the middle somewhere. Sincere love, it holds no pretense whatsoever, no deceit in our heart towards another person. It's pure. It's genuine at our heart, at our core. And this is how people will know who you follow, right? If we follow ourselves or we follow the world, our love will lack sincerity, won't it? Uh, Our love will be idle. It'll be stationary. There's no movement at all. If we're a Jesus follower that loves We'll be on the move. Our love will be unconditional. And sincere love elevates the needs and the lives of others above ourselves. And it kind of goes back to the first eight verses on how we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, not thinking of others higher than, uh, uh, not thinking of ourselves higher than other people. And if someone, um, and you see this played out all the time, maybe in relationships, maybe in uh, the dynamics of your work, Okay, um, uh, if someone that you know is rich or affluent, they're, they're well off, whatever that means, okay, and it's, an easy, it's easy to treat that person with love because of the reward that you might get in return. Is that sincere? No, that's not, that's fake love, right? That's you trying to do something so you get something out of it, right? Sincere love means that we're, we're giving with nothing, no expectations in return. What about somebody, maybe, maybe you're friends with the mayor. Maybe you were the mayor at one time, right? Yeah, Jeff. And so uh, that you know somebody with influence, with power, whatever that means, right? That some people think they have more than they do. But you can love that person thinking that they might give you a reward, by using that influence and power for your benefit, right? Because it's all about who you know. And let's be true, that, that has a lot of merit. Sometimes you get things because of who you know. And it's not wrong to accept that, but when you intentionally are loving, you fake love them into getting something from that person, that's not sincere love. And it's nice when, when people are in that position, if you are well off, if you do hold uh, some kind of power or influence uh, over a community or uh, other people, that, that it's nice when those people have sincere love and extend that generosity to others. When you just go out of your way to offer um, that sincere love that's rooted in the heart of Jesus and you do something for somebody else with no expect uh, of reward or, or applause. And out of the overflow of our heart, right, out of the overflow of our heart, and when we hold those things, people will know who we follow, right? Because out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks, the body acts, the mind thinks. And then when we um, possess all of that in our heart, it's what's going to come out of us. 
So after we get the foundation of uh, sincere uh, love, Paul encourages us not to run out of gas. He says, don't burn out. Don't, um, don't keep, yourselves fuel, to keep yourselves fueled in a flame, right? Burnout's a real thing. Amen? Yeah, you can feel that. If you work in ministry at all, you certainly can feel that. And um, so far, I've never seen or heard about a retirement age for ministry, that God's constantly calling us to do the next thing, the next step of faith for him, right? But it's easy to get burned out when you're the only one that's teaching that class for however long. And when you're asked to come and serve for seven hours on a Saturday, right, there's only 52 of those a year. And we asked you to give one of those. It's hard to understand that. So burnout's a real thing. Physical, spiritual, mental, emotional burnout. It's this breaking point from, at what, from never taking time to reset and recover. And for some of us, it takes less time, right? We, we just got back from vacation where we left. We were exhausted when we came home physically because we went all the time. But mentally, it was great. We just kind of got to shut down a little bit. And it's critical to be able to sustain whatever, um, whatever it is that we're doing. And he's telling us we have to find ways to continue to love sincerely, to not get burned out by doing that. So physically, how do you recover? Other than sleeping, try and sleep a few hours a night, right? I try to work out throughout the week. And um, if, I, if I do the same exercise over and over again, those same muscles are going to be used. But they're going to wear out eventually. They need to have time to rest. And they need to have time to recover and go maybe do some, use another set of muscles and do something different. But we have to have time to, um, you know, we can go into depth about how the body works and the ATPs, the adenotriphosphates, when they get burned up and they burn all the sugar out of uh, and, and then, then lactic acid sits in. That's what makes you sore, right? But that's a little probably too scientific for today. But that's what happens. Um, anatomy and physiology was my favorite class in college. Um, I still love it, and I know half of, I remember half of what I learned. Um, but I remember that part, obviously. Basically, you need rest, okay? You need to be able to reset and recover emotionally, mentally. How do you recover? You need to have a plan for that, right? Maybe a day off, maybe a day away from the noise and the stress if you're able. Regard, maybe it's just 10 minutes, like, I got to get away. I got to go outside. I don't care if the house burns down. I got to be outside for just 10 minutes. And, and some of us need that. Regardless, rest is helpful to help us recover. And Jesus, he got tired. Jesus was human. He was God in a body. He was very human, though. He got tired. He felt pain. And we see often in Scripture where he's taking a nap to recover. And the, the fun times where we see him take a nap in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a storm, um, he could take a nap wherever he needed to. Some of us are like that, right? Some of you are like that right now. <clears throat> All right. Sometimes we need to uh, mentally recover, too. Um, if you know anything about the 12 disciples in the Bible that followed Jesus everywhere, um, you know that Jesus needed a break from them mentally, because of their questions, maybe their attitudes. So it's important that we do the same thing. And often in Scripture, you see where Jesus took time to get away. He often removed himself. And a lot of times, it was probably early in the morning before they got up 
Because that's when, otherwise, if they knew Jesus was up, they would have been following him. Because that's what they did. So Paul gives us this little formula on how to stay engaged and stay refreshed and keep our love sincere. And it's all about being joyful in hope, being patient in affliction, being faithful in prayer. Eugene Peterson, he put it this way, be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Be on the edge of your seat. Get excited, people. Look forward to what God has called you to do, even if you don't want to do it. We need to look forward to that opportunity. Our attitude is our choice, right? Um, My kids hate it when I, your attitude and your effort. There's two things you can control. They are your attitude and your effort. No one else has control over that. And our attitude is our choice, and our attitude should reflect the God that we serve. And so he says, be cheerfully expectant. Look forward to being the person that God's called you to be. He says, don't quit in hard times. The video about this fruit of the Spirit talks about, I don't quit. We don't quit. We want to, today's culture, it's quitting, Right? Today's culture, when things are hard, you just walk away. Oh, that's too hard. I can't do that. I'll just go do something else. We'll go over here until that's too hard, right? There is, there, uh, when I was a coach, I saw it a lot, right? Uh, but there are people of a certain younger age, and I'm not going to attach a number to the word younger, okay? But um, when, when things are difficult, just, nope, I'm, I'm out of here. Maybe people my age or below it's just the way, because we expect, uh, and I'm not poking fun at gamers, because, but this is just an example. When you don't have a good game, what can you do on your video game? Reset. Start over. That wasn't perfect. I'm going to do it again. Because it doesn't cost you anything, right? Don't quit in hard times. Part of hard times, part of being patient in affliction, which is coming up, is enduring those hard times. And we can't quit just because it's... Um, difficult. What if, what if Jesus would have quit when it got hard, right? When people made fun of Jesus, what, what if we, what if, he said, nope, I'm out of here. I'm done. What if when he was being beaten within an inch of his life, just hours before he was crucified, what would happen if he would have just quit and said, God, I'm done. I can't do this. I don't want to do it. They're not worth it. What when the nails were being put in his hands and his feet? What if he would have said, no, I'm done? What would have happened? No heaven. That's what happens. No grace. No atonement for my sins. No eternity in heaven. But eternity in sorrow and hell, right? Things in this life are going to be hard. And Jesus held himself accountable to that very thing. And because of that, we can show patience when we face hard times. Patience and affliction. That's not easy. I was sitting at this red light where nobody was coming. I pulled up and it turned red. And I just want to go. And I'm like, patient and affliction. Like, well, you don't have a very afflicted life, Paul. But, but I, because I had to wait for a red light. But it's true. We feel that way. Patience is a virtue. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. I don't know if you caught that. And so he asks us, hey, hold on, don't quit in hard times, pray all the harder. You want to refresh? The best way to refresh your life is to have a consistent, faithful prayer life. 
this two-way communication system that we have with God, the one who just spoke and the world popped into place. We get to talk to him. And you know what? He hears it. He responds. And if we take time, I say it's a two-way go, right? We have to take time and listen to what he's saying to us and how he can use those gifts and abilities and, and, and find out what's possible. Because our prayer life, when we pray all the more, it changes your attitude. It changes your perception. It gives you more patience in affliction. It makes you more joyful in hope. Hope is what? Hope is things is a promise of something that hasn't happened yet. And we have to be hopeful We have to be patient in that. We need to be joyful of what God might do because we're listening and following him. So the life of a Jesus follower is full of action, and we need to put that to work. And it starts with uh, this all-encompassing, sincere love, this greatest command that Jesus gave us. And uh, the, the way that we love, the world will know who we follow by the way that we love, right? If we show fake love, we, these empty promises, shallow engagements that we have, then the love, uh, when we love to get something in return, then that type of love does not show that we're Jesus followers. When we love like Jesus loved with a sincere heart, regardless of the outcome, this unconditional type of love, by engaging with people in the middle of their mess and their hurt and just... Uh, had no chance of a reward or even applause, but you just kind of walk, he just kind of walked along with them, right? That type of love shows that we are Jesus followers. That's the kind of people that we want to be. That's the action that Jesus calls us to. So we're halfway through Romans chapter 12, and we're challenged to love sincerely. Each week, um, we've offered three different questions at the end, and uh, and I encourage you to talk about these questions with others. Let them be conversation starters. Maybe, um, maybe it'll be a subject of your prayer life. But it, we need to take them to heart. Some of them are super simple. Maybe they're one-word answers. They're all rhetorical because it's just between you and God on how your heart is expressed and how we show his love. So question number one is this. Do you love from the center of who you are? All right? That, that has two meanings. Do you, do you do it, first of all? And then who's in your center? Right? Is your love sincere? Do you love from the center of who you are? Second question is this. Do I ever love others with ulterior motives to receive something in return? Do you ever catch yourself fake loving someone? All right? Better put. If you ever... So, so pay attention to that. Why am I doing that? Am I doing that for me? Or am I doing that because that's what God called me to do? That's because, because I'm a Jesus follower. That's why I'm loving them. Third question is this. What part of the formula to keep our hearts fueled in a flame for, in sincere love of, of be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer? What part of that formula do you need to work on the most? I would... If I had to take a straw poll, I think patience would be at the top of many of our lists, right? Because we want things now, we want them perfect, and we expect it. And that's not always the case, especially when you come up to this light over here. Just saying, um, 
That, that stuck in my heart a little bit. But what part of that formula do we need to work on the most? Let's remember to try and read Romans chapter 12 uh, as often as we can and continue to let God speak through us. And, uh, and we're so thankful that we have visitors today. We're, it's good to see you. I'm glad you came. Thanks for sharing your kids with us yesterday. And uh, we hope that if you don't have a church home, you're always welcome here. If you do have a church home, we hope that you faithfully worship there as well. And don't forget that after we pray the benediction, you're welcome to join us for some lunch across the parking lot. And this prayer will serve as our benediction and for our food. So whenever Brandon says it's ready, you guys can go at it, okay? Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today and we ask um, with your patience with us. As we learn what it means to love sincerely, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and not, offer, not, not think of ourselves higher than we should because the things that we have, they come from you. And Lord, we just ask that, that you use us in a special and genuine way, in the way that we love, that our love is full of action, that we're doers of what your love calls us to be. That when we see someone in, in need, that we, that we help. That when we have friends that need assistance, that we come alongside of them, regardless of the outcome. Unconditional love that is sincere from our heart. Lord, guard us from fake loving people that, that masks our true intentions. But Lord, that you will just shine through our lives and that your love, and that people will understand who we follow because of the way that we love them. Help us to have a great week, Lord. We look forward to seeing what you're doing in our lives. Um, we just pray, Father, for the food that's been prepared and uh, the fellowship and the community that we'll get to all share in today as we um, dine together. And thank you for the close of a great week of ministry at VBS. And we look forward to the opening of a great week of camp uh, middle schoolers and kids camp, and we just ask God that you'll uh, be in the middle of every one of those. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Make sure and say hello to three or four people on your way out. Maybe I invite them to sit with you at lunch. Have a great week. God bless you.